Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, great to see everybody. This morning, I want to talk to you about hosting the presence of God. If you're a Christian, literally, the second most important thing about you is what you do with God's presence on the inside of you. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit is living on the inside of you. And it, it, the, the Holy Spirit, well, Jesus told us that he's going to come and he's going to be our counselor, our helper, our advocate, our intercessor, our strengthener, our standby. And what we do with the Holy Spirit determines literally our impact in the kingdom of God. And it really determines our effectiveness in our life for God. You can have the anointing of God, but yet not have it make, how can I say this, and, and not please God in your life. There's a story in the Old Testament about a man named Samson. It's in the book of Judges. Israel has come out of Egypt and they just come into the promised land. And for about 450 years, they had judges. And this man, Samson, was one of those guys. Now, when he was, his parents were unable to have children and an angel appears, talks to them and says, behold, to the wife, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. For this child will be a Nazarite to God from his mother's womb. Now, a Nazarite was someone who made a vow to God, and it was usually just for a period of time. But there were a few people in the Bible who were Nazarites all their life. And it's saying, Samson, he's going to be one of those people. Now, a Nazarite could not have anything to do with the fruit of the vine. So they couldn't drink wine or grape juice. They couldn't have grapes. They couldn't even eat raisins. The second thing was they couldn't touch anything that was dead, man or beast. And then thirdly, they could never cut their hair. And that was the way you could tell a Nazarite because they had super long hair. So the Bible says in Judges 13 that the Spirit of the Lord began to move on Samson. And the Spirit of God would come on him. What happened with Samson is he would receive supernatural strength. He takes a little trip. And, and he, he literally, he goes five miles from home and he goes to a town called Timnath. But when he goes those five miles, he crosses an international border and he leads the land of the Israelites into the land of the Philistines. We, we live in, in what we consider to be a, a multicultural society. But there was a huge difference between the Israelites and the Philistines. The Israelites served the Lord God. The Philistines worshiped a God named Dagon. Now, Dagon is a male mermaid. Seriously. Can you think of anything uglier? From the waist up, he's a man. And from the waist down, he's a fish. And it is not, it's not a, a different way of coming to the same God. It is a completely different God. In fact, in the New Testament, in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 20, it says that what it basically says is this Dagon is a demon spirit that's behind that image. So he goes there and he sees this girl and, and she's hot. And he goes home and, and uh, he says, hey, I want to marry her. Get her for me for my wife. 
And the parents say, hey, why don't you marry a Jewish girl? Must you go and get a wife from these heathen Philistines? Isn't there one girl among all the people of Israel who you could marry? And Samson said, she's the one I want. Get her for me. One translation says, she looks good to me. She looks good to me. How many know looks are nice? How many know looks don't last? You know, you say, I, I told this once before I got in a little trouble, but I was going to tell it again because it's just the truth. You know, you have these guys, oh, she's just so beautiful. Listen, someday she's going to wave goodbye to you and the bottom of her arm is going to go like that, you know? I mean, come on, how many know? Every, how many know all that stuff changes? It does. It changes. So, so he's marrying her based on her looks. And by the way, he does marry her and the marriage lasts 10 days. That's not long. But here's the first thing about him. He's anointed by the spirit of God. The spirit of God's coming on him, but he will not listen to counsel. His parents said to him, look, you should be marrying. You should be marrying a girl that has the same fervor for God that you have for God. In fact, in the New Testament, it just says, don't be unequally yoked together. Right? You need somebody that loves God like you love God, that serves God like you want to serve God. But he won't listen to counsel. So he's going to see her. And the Bible says he went down to Timnath with his father and mother, and he came through the vineyard of Timnath. Now, what's a guy doing in a vineyard who isn't supposed to have grapes, raisins, or wine? He's just where he shouldn't really be. And now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. Well, let me just say this. When you're where you're not supposed to be, don't be surprised when that devil who the Bible says goes about like a roaring lion shows up. How many know there's some places you just shouldn't be? There's some things you shouldn't do. You know, and he's in the wrong place. The lion shows up. Now, here's what's interesting. The spirit of the Lord comes on him mightily, the Bible says, and he catches a lion and tears him apart with his bare hands. Very supernatural. Very supernatural. Now, it says this in 1 Corinthians, and I want to talk about this. You know, what, what we, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it mentions nine manifestations or gifts of the Holy Spirit. Nine different ways that he comes on people. And what we would call this that just happened, we would say that that was the working of miracles. It's when by the Spirit of God you do something that is literally impossible for you to do at any other time. Right? You do it. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says, and there's diversities of gifts, but the same operation. And there's diversities of administration or operation, but the same Lord. Different gifts work different in different people. They put Samson here in, in this, this vineyard and he tears the lion apart. But when they put Daniel in a lion's den, the lions just went to sleep. Now, it was the same spirit, but a different manifestation of the same spirit. One was the working of miracles. The other was the gift of special faith. There's regular faith, but there is a gift of special faith. And most of the time that it operates, it operates in supernatural divine protection which is what happened to Daniel. Now, if we had put Samson in the lion's den, there'd have been cheap lion burgers next morning because he'd have taken all the lions out. Same spirit, just a different operation, manifesting differently. He's got this, this issue. First of all, he's not taking counsel. He's just not living wise. 
Listen, here he gets, Judges 16. Now Samson went down to Gaza. Again, he's in the land of the Philistines. And he saw a harlot there and he went into her. Everybody go, yuck, yuck. I mean like you mean it. Yuck, yuck. Okay. When the Gazites were told Samson is here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. And they were quiet all night saying, in the morning, when it's daylight, we'll kill him. And Samson lay low till midnight. He rose at midnight and he took hold of the doors and the gates of the city and the two gate posts pulled them up, bars and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. This would be the equivalent of pulling up two telephone poles and then taking a semi and put it on your back and walking up the hill 20 miles with a semi. Now, how many will agree that that is supernatural? Spirit of God's moving. How many of you realize God does not approve of his lifestyle? See, the mistake some people make is that when, well, God's blessing me. The Spirit of God moves and I, I feel God's Spirit and, and God blesses this and, and God uses me to do that. And then we think everything I do is okay. But that is not true. That's not true at all. The Bible says the gifts and the callings of God, they're without repentance. In other words, what God has called you to do, what God's anointed you to do, God's going to keep on calling you, keep on anointing you, keep on using you. But that does not mean that everything that you do is all right. And we kind of get the idea, well, if God blesses me, if God uses me, if I sense God's presence, if I sense the Holy Spirit, then everything that I do is okay. But that is not true at all. And you know the end of the story. He ends up in the Valley of Sorek with a woman named Delilah. How many remember how the story ends? It does not go well. It doesn't go well. His hair gets cut. He loses his, his supernatural strength. His eyes get plucked out. And he becomes a pawn of the Philistines. Again, now in uh, John 16, verse 7, Jesus said, I'm telling you the truth here. It is expedient. It's profitable. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the comforter, the counselor, the helper, the advocate, the intercessor, the strengthener to stand by will not come to you into close fellowship with you. Now, some don't, don't realize this, but God wants to be in close fellowship with you on a daily basis, on an hourly basis. You know, the Bible talks way back in the beginning, in the fifth chapter of, of the Bible, it says that Enoch walked with God. See, we're supposed to walk with God. But what happens very often, we are waiting for the Holy Spirit to do something. But he's our helper. He's not the initiator. He's the helper. And because we become passive or we give in to doubt and unbelief, we do not move. And then the Holy Spirit, I said it this way, I think last week, the Holy Spirit is like imprisoned in unbelieving believers. Because they're doing nothing. For example, God told the children of Israel, I have given you the promised land. But yet because of fear and passivity, they were unwilling to go in to the promised land. And the Bible says they limited the Holy One of Israel. In other words, God wanted to do great things for them. But because of their fear, their doubt, their unbelief, their passivity, they did not receive what God had for them. But 40 years later, their children do go in 
And you remember, they come to Jericho, they march around the city seven days, they shout. God knocks down the walls and supernaturally gives them victory. And 115 times they breach the walls of enemy cities. But God wanted to do that a generation before. He wanted to bless them, but they didn't partake because of their passivity. And I believe very often that you and I live way under our privileges, way under the will of God. And like they limited God, we limit God because of our doubt, because of our passivity. We just sit back and we wait for God to do something. But the kingdom of God suffereth violence, Jesus said, and the violent take it by force. The violent take it. There's really no room for passivity. In 2 Timothy 2 and 6, it says, having been taken captive by him, Satan, to do his will. You see, when you are taken captive, you're doing his will, not your will. Your will becomes passive. For you to become bound by the devil, your will has to become passive. For example, God gives Adam dominion in the earth. In fact, the first thing God said was, let him have dominion. In Genesis 2.15, he took man, he put him in the garden. The Bible says to tend, to guard, and to keep it. Well, what happens is Satan comes and literally the attack is on Adam's wife, Eve. But Adam does not act on Eve's behalf. Satan is literally threatening everything, but Adam does nothing and remains passive. Acquiesces through silence and passivity. They sin and Satan literally becomes the prince of this world. In fact, Jesus said the prince of this world comes. Speaking of Satan, he has nothing in me. First John 5, 9, we know that we're of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Why? Because of Adam's passivity. Don't look for comfort, ease, entertainment, and pleasure. The kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. The spirit of God on the inside of us begins to move as we move. He is our helper. And what he does in our lives, he does because God loves us, but he does, does it for more than that. He does it so we can be a blessing to others. When God called Abraham, he said, I'm going to bless you. But twice he told him, you will be a blessing. When David becomes king, this is what God said, for the sake of his people, Israel. Why? He did it for the people's sake. He wanted them to have a great ruler. He wanted them to be blessed. And when God gives, gifts you in an area, it's not just for your benefit, it's for the benefit of others. Again, in 1 Corinthians 12, when it talks about the, what, what the Holy Spirit does, it says, for the profit of all. In other words, it's not just to bless you, it's to be a blessing to everybody that's around you. In Isaiah chapter 6, King Uzziah dies. He was really turning the nation back to God and, and the prophet Isaiah. I think when, when this happened, he was kind of like despondent, maybe even losing hope and saying, God, what are we going to do now? The king is dead. 
It says, but what he saw was the Lord sitting on his throne, high and lifted up, and his train of his robe filled the temple. And above him, there's the seraphim, and they're crying out, and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and the whole earth is filled with his glory. And the posts of the doors were shaken by the voice of those who crowd, and the house was filled with smoke. And he's having this experience with the Holy Spirit, with God, and he's worshiping. And this is verse 8. And I heard a voice from the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And whom will go, who will go for us? And he said, here am I, send me. So here's the question. He's worshiping and the question comes up, who will we send and who will go for us? And his response is, here am I, send me. Now, worship really is the ultimate ministry. But unfortunately, we have a lot of people today who consider themselves to be just great, great worshipers. But there is no activity outside of their worship. They don't serve anywhere. See, it's impossible to see God's heart and turn a cold shoulder on his cry of who will go for us and who will we send. You see, when we hear the heart of God, we should be the first ones who say, here am I. I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to serve. I'm ready to worship and not serve shows that our, in our worship, we have not encountered the heart of God. Because when you encounter the heart of God in worship, our response should be the same as Isaiah's response. There's the need, and here am I. Here am I. Send me. You know, we talk about a worship culture today. And again, worship is the ultimate ministry. But sometimes I look and I think of people who say, man, my ministry is worship. I think you worship worship. Because let me ask you this question. Is your passion measurable outside of your expression of worship? Can we see your passion for God outside of your expression for worship? You say, I lift my hands, I clap. Maybe you get down on your knees. Maybe you lay prostrate on the floor. Those are all very, very good. But is your passion for God measurable outside of your expression of worship? Because it needs to be. Our love for God needs to be seen in our love for and our serving people. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. You know, lovers of God, we have the privilege of enforcing the victory that Jesus obtained for us at the cross. Now, Jesus told us that one of the things the Holy Spirit was going to do, he's going to be our guide. Uh, when when uh, King Saul has died and David has been anointed king, but he's been hiding in the land of the Philistines because Saul was trying to kill him. He finds out and he says, Lord, shall I go up to Israel? And the Lord said, go up. And he says, where shall I go? And the Lord said, go to Hebron. So, so 
he needs guidance and he says, God, what shall I do? Now, of course, the number one way that God leads every single Christian is through the Bible. But the Bible doesn't tell you where to work, who to marry, what house to buy, what college to go to. How many of the Bible gives you some answers, but it doesn't give you a lot of answers. So how is God going to lead us in those situations? Well, we've talked a little bit about God leading us by desire. In Acts 7.23, it says it came into the heart of Moses when he was 40 years old to visit the children of Israel. It came into his heart. God put the desire there. Philippians 2.13, for God himself is at work in you, inspiring you to want what pleases him. So one of the ways that God leads us is by putting desire inside us. This is, where, this is the direction I want you to go. But probably the main way outside of the word of God that God leads us is he leads us with his peace. Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace, the soul harmony, which comes from Christ's rule, act as umpire continually in your hearts, deciding and settling with finality all questions that arise in your mind in that peaceful state. So the Bible tells us that God's peace. Now, by the way, one thing the world cannot give is peace. Something the devil cannot counterfeit is God's peace. He said that peace is to act as the umpire in your life. So if, if you're thinking about doing a certain thing and you have peace, literally that's God saying you can do it and you're safe. You're in my will. But if you're thinking about doing it and there's no peace, there's just something like on the inside of you. It just doesn't feel, it looks right, but it doesn't feel right. You don't have the peace about it. It says, if you do that, you're going to be out of the will of God. The peace is to act as the umpire continually in our hearts, deciding and settling with finality all questions that arise in your mind. You, you, the, the Spirit of God brings that peace. In fact, Jesus told his disciples, he said, you know, when you enter into a house, say peace to the house. Peace to the house. He says, if there's a person of peace there, your peace will rest on that house. He said, if not, your peace will come back to you. It'll come back to you. That peace is a tangible thing. And it is to be what guides us in so many of our decisions. I don't know about you, but there was, I've had a couple of times when things just really looked right, but there was something on the inside that just didn't feel right, and I did it anyway. Is there anybody here who ever did that besides me? Did it turn out like it did for me? It just didn't turn out right. You know, the peace of God was that umpire telling me, don't do it. You do that, you're going to be out of the will of God. The Bible tells us in Mark chapter 6, it says, the Lord working with them, confirming the word through accompanying signs. Now, it's notice the Lord worked with them. Again, the Holy Spirit is our helper. He anoints. He empowers. And he works through yielded vessels. But we need to recognize 
that it is the Holy Spirit that enables us and it is the Holy Spirit that produces the fruit. It's not us. In Romans chapter 15, the Apostle Paul writes and he says, uh, I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me. Now he says, Christ used me. It's the Holy, it is Christ through the Holy Spirit who used me, but it is he is the one who accomplished it. It is Christ through the Holy Spirit who brings the fruit, who brings the results, who accomplishes things in the kingdom of God. And the truth is that he wants to move in us and through us more than we even want him to move. But we've got to be yielded. We've got to move. And literally, we have to initiate. The spirit is not given to us to make us smarter. But to see unseen realities, wisdom, and revelation. I can say it like this. What drives us is not the need to perform, but the need to commune with God. In Philippians 3 and 8, it says, Yet indeed I also count all things as loss for the, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord. In verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. What, what is it that Paul says? I want to know him. The driving force behind everything that he did was not the need to perform, but it was the need to commune with God. You know, we're only connected to him when we do, when we do and we understand who we are and what our purpose is. Only through that connection with him are we going to know who we are and what our purpose is. The purpose to live a life devoted to discovering and hosting the presence of God. In Ezekiel chapter 47, Ezekiel has a vision. And in the vision, a dream, a, 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 an angel comes to him. And from the throne of God, there's this river that's flowing out. And the angel takes him, they're standing on the bank, and the angel takes him a hundred, excuse me, a thousand meters into the river. And it's up to his ankles. But then he takes him a thousand meters farther, and it's up to his knees. And they go a thousand meters or rods farther, and it's up to his waist. And then they go out another thousand, and, and he said it was in abundance so that you could swim. It's way over his head. And what this is telling you and me is this, that no matter where we are in our relationship with God, there is so much more. Some of us, literally, we are ankle deep in the things of God. But God's saying, come on out. Let's get up to your, let's get up to your knees. And those of us that are up to our knees, he's saying, come on, come on out. There's more. There's more. You can get up to your waist. Or you can get up where you're so far out, you're just swimming. You're just, th th there is so much more that God has for every single one of us. But he's saying, you've got to press in. You've got to press in. The Holy Spirit on the inside of you is there to help you go deeper and deeper into the things of God. The psalmist said, it. he said, deep calls to deep.
Deep calls to deep. And the Spirit of God on the inside of us is responding to the deep of God who's calling us and saying, come on in. The water's fine. The water's good. And no matter how deep you go, there's more that God has for every one of us. Would you bow your heads, please, for just a moment? Thank you for watching and being a part of our online family. Subscribe to our channel for access to all of our videos and live services. You can also be notified when a new service becomes available if you ring the notification bell. We cannot do this without you. You can support this ministry and help us reach more people with the word by giving at reslife.org give. Thanks again for watching. Be blessed.